everybody. It's the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Harwell, and this is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and yours. I'm joined, as always, by Craig Moorhead. Craig, how are you, sir? Sean, I am doing pretty good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been thinking about movies, and now I get to talk about some movies. So, I mean, I'm trying to keep it in the moment. You know what I mean? And I'm right, right here in the present uh-huh. tense. Living your best life. Living my best life and standing in my truth. Hmm. Sean, how are you doing? Well, I'm sitting in mine. Fair enough. You know, I just, it's been a long day. So I'm good. You know, we're in October here when this will be released and not quite physically in October as we're recording this. Mentally. But mentally. Yes. Emotionally. emotionally. Absolutely. All about it. We are supposed to get down in the 40s in the lows this week. So that's got me very, very excited and happy. And, um, Yeah, other than that, doing good. Excited to check out these two movies, which I think are not going to be outright horror that we're doing this month, but have some, uh, I'm going to use the word greasy, some just greasiness to them, Craig. A little little bit of greasiness. A little little discomforting grease. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that. It's a good time of year to get get some grease on you, you know? Oh, yeah. Let's let's grease it up. (laughs) Okay. Well, if uh, people want to get greasy with us and say hello, where would they do that? Craig, you want to tell them uh, where they can come say uh, all the things they need to say to us? Absolutely. All grease monkeys can find us at Twitter. That's at Never Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, just Never Podcast. Uh, Instagram is going to be NHOIT Podcast. Leave any of your greasy DMs for us right there. If you're looking for the episodes, talking about all the past episodes, going all the way back to episode number one, which is probably the most famous one. You're going to find those on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and CastBox. There might be even some more. Uh, you know, feel free to poke around. If you find them, you can, you can uh, talk to us on one of our little uh, social media guys and let us know what's going on anywhere you find us. If you like it, please subscribe and leave a review because it really helps other people find us. And, uh, and I'd appreciate that. If you're in France, by the way, I'd like to point this out. Mm-hmm. If you are in France, I've noticed our listenership has dipped a bit. Uh, I'd like to make a formal apology to everyone in France. Oui, oui. Please uh, forgive us for whatever it is we've done uh, and, and come back. You made the show better just by listening. And, and to everyone who continues to listen all, all, throughout, all throughout the world, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say. Thanks <laughs> very much for checking it out. And thanks for being with us right now. And Sean, mm-hmm. thank you for uh, whatever it is you're going to say next. I was going to give you a pop quiz. Oh, all right. I'm ready for it. Well, you mentioned it. Do you remember what our very first episode, what movie we talked about? I think the very first one we published was hmm, Holy Smoke. Yes, you nailed it. Okay. We did one before that that we published later. Yeah. It wasn't quite up to snuff, mm. I feel like. And then we, uh, we did it a little bit later. Yeah, we we brought it up to snuff, or we just brought down the rest of them. Right, we just to decided the level of snuff. Who cares about your level of snuff? Let's just. Yeah, we're like, oh no, we can't do better than that one. Actually, it turns <laughs> out no. Learn, learn your limits. Yeah, I got a list on IMDb as well. If you want to just ever go down memory lane with us and see all the episodes that we've done, it's not completely up to date, but pretty close. And we were at 120 titles on there. So if you search for "Never Heard of a Podcast." IMDB, you will find that list, I think, as well. And that's a nice little neat place to see all the stuff we've done. I'll have to create one on Letterboxd as well. Maybe that'll be something for the new year, Craig. That'd be a great uh, little project. 
make a little resolution. I, I, a lot of the younger folks are using Letterboxd more than they are IMDb, I think. So, Well, of course they are. Yeah, we'll get hip to it. <laughs> Let's dive in, then. We've got a movie called The Honeymoon Killers today from 1970. IMDb tells me that this is a crime drama romance. Isn't all romance a bit of a dramatic crime, Craig? Oh, you better believe it is. Uh, it's rated R. It's an hour and 47 minutes. I know it's streaming on the Criterion channel at the moment. You can watch it on Amazon Prime if you want to pay the rental fee, which probably means it's available iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere. See it where you see it. This is, according to IMDb, about an obese embittered nurse who doesn't mind if her toupee-wearing boyfriend romances and fleeces other women as long as he takes her along on his con jobs. I like that synopsis. This is a movie, Craig, that I recommended. I kind of knew it existed and then forget about it. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I was... Well, I'll tell you right now, and it's going to play a part a little bit in the movie that you picked for this month. I was really looking. I was hoping to find like a Technicolor horror film. Mm -hmm. I was like, do those even exist? Like movies that were shot in Technicolor but are a little horrific? And they do. And the the earliest one I I was really interested in, uh, it's The Mystery of the Wax Museum. Oh, sure. Yeah. Can't can't find it anyway. Cannot find a copy of that available to stream online really anywhere. So Is Is that the Vincent Price movie? Or that's House of Wax maybe? That is different. Okay, that gotcha. is, yes. There's a couple within that sort of wax museum landscape of a title. Mm-hmm. But the mystery of the wax museum, I think, was the sort of first Technicolor horror-esque film that's out there. So someday, some way, I would like to see that. But this one, when I was looking through the decades, I was like, well, you know, let's, let's talk 70 here. It sounded really interesting. There's some interesting backstory stuff that I'm going to talk about today. And I knew it was available from Criterion, so it's always kind of intriguing to me. Uh, they've got so many things that I think, you know, some of the, the, even within the Criterion collection, there's stuff that pops a little more than others as far as the ones that people see and talk about. And I don't know that this is one of those. So I'm excited to check it out, even if people have seen it. And I'm really excited to hear you tell us who made this thing. Well, uh, your level of excitement is uh, about to go through the roof. Mm. Sean, because I've got all the pertinent info. And I'm in the basement, so look out. Oh, man. Clear out the kids on the second floor there because... (laughs) Yeah, there's a fireplace like right above me. That's going to hurt, but uh, let's do it. It might. Here's the deal. Honeymoon Killers was directed by two people. Mm. Let's just think about that. When was the last time you saw a movie directed by two people? Well, actually, I guess it happens a good bit (laughs) animation-wise. It's not really that yeah. amazing of a, of a thing yeah, to talk right, about at this yeah. point. The Matrix movies, basically. Yeah, I was going to say Wachowski said one. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, look. Point is, <laughs> two people directed Honeymoon Killers. One, if we're going by uh, alphabetically, the first one is Leonard Castle. That's Castle with a K. Mm-hmm. Leonard composed music for the NBC television opera theater in 1961. A show called NBC Television Opera Theater. Doesn't that just sound like, I mean, that, that sounds like it's just from another planet, the idea of... Can you believe that? that yeah. Those things being thrown together. Yes. It's like somebody just took magnets off the fridge and put them in an order, and that's what they came up with. 60 yeah. years ago, NBC hmm. decided the way to get eyeballs is to put opera on TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, I don't think I've ever attended an actual opera. 
Oh, for uh, shame, Craig. I, I think a lot of us are not really exposed to opera. Sure. So uh, maybe the joke's on us. Uh, regardless, there was a show called NBC Television Opera Theater, and Leonard Castle was a composer on the show. I think it might have only even been one special, perhaps. Regardless, uh, Castle, yeah. not known for his directing, but he wanted to go at this thing full bore, and that's what he did. He grabbed his buddy, Donald Volkman, this is Donald's only credit. Donald said, did what I needed to do. Don't need to direct any more movies. Thank you anyway. Mm-hmm. And was out of there. The movie's also written by Leonard Castle, who I don't know if you remember. He'd only been a composer on a show called NBC Television Opera Theater in 1961. Maybe he just uh, wanted to kill some people after working on that show. Yeah. And he, he put it in a script. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I think all of this movie should be taken as a as sort of a confession uh yeah so he wrote it leonard castle wrote it and directed it brought his buddy donald in to help out with it uh the movie is produced by paul aslin paul was an associate producer on this uh movie he'd also produced after school specials such as have you ever been ashamed of your parents yes and dinky hawker yes dinky Hawker. Are we going to hear more about Dinky Hawker as time goes on, Sean? I, I don't know. Sadly, I don't have anything about that. I oh, wish I had. Oh, man. Yeah. Maybe next time. Oh, Dinky. All right. Well, moving on, other producers include Warren Steibel, credited as a producer here. Warren produced 107 episodes of the show Firing Line from 1967 hmm. to 1999. This was a show, if you're not familiar with it, where William F. Buckley prominent conservative thinker yes. of past decades would argue with uh, other prominent like political figures and yeah. so on. Okay. Yes. Yes. And all I can think is, man, that, that'd be nice right about now. I mean, <laughs> seems like some intelligent conversations happening on mm-hmm. TV. Anyway, let's move on to DP. Sean, this is kind of exciting. Oliver Wood is our DP for Honeymoon Killers. Here's what Oliver Wood has worked on. We've got Die Hard 2, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Step Brothers, Born Ultimatum, may have done the other Born movies. I know Born Ultimatum for sure. Also wow. uh, shot the upcoming Morbius movie. Hmm. Oliver, I'm going to say, is probably going to be our best known crew member. That's impressive. In this. That is that is impressive. And also wrong, Craig. Wait, what? Uh, you'll hear more. You'll hear more. Oh, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't wait. Continue. I love being wrong. <laughs> uh, edited by Richard Brophy. Brophy. Richard Brophy. <laughs> this is Richard's only credit. Uh, we've mm. also got Stanley Warnow editing. Uh, Stanley edited the the film uh, version of Hair. He also did uh, several episodes of The Equalizer and The Wonder Years, among other credits. Beautiful. Yeah, doing some good stuff. Uh, then we're going to jump right into our cast. Sean, here's who we've got. Shirley Stoller is playing Martha Beck. Shirley, you would have seen in Deer Hunter, Malcolm X, Frankenhooker. That's right. Uh, a lot of esteemed movies in now, Shirley's... See, I don't know that name, do you? Shirley Stoller? Yeah. I do not. I know. Like, I, I mean, obviously I saw that she was in this, but uh, it's good to hear that she's in all these other things that I have seen and have yeah. no clue who she is. So uh, maybe that'll all ring a bell when we watch this. Yeah. Well, that's the thing from things that I've read, like she really kind of had a reputation. 
Like there was really sort of a like a casting reputation. Like, uh, oh, you want something like this? Get Shirley Get Stoller. Stoller. Yeah. Uh, Fun. Okay. Now we've got Tony Lobianco as Ray Fernandez. Tony, uh, you would have seen him in The French Connection, The Seven Ups, the uh, Oliver Stone movie Nixon. We've got Mary Jane Higby as Janet Faye. Her only other credit was a radio show from 1949 called We the People. Hmm. That's uh, Miss Higby. Oh, we've got Doris Roberts. What am I talking about? Yeah. Doris Roberts as Bunny. Everyone loves Doris Roberts. That's a law. She was in uh, Barney Miller. She was in the great sitcom Angie, which no one probably remembers. She was in uh, Remington Steel, many episodes of Remington Steel, which was fantastic. And, of course, she played Ray Romano's mom on Everybody Loves Raymond, which, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, was the most popular TV show in the world for however long it ran or something. <laughs> yeah. It was a, an incredibly huge show. So we've got Doris Roberts, so that's definitely exciting. We've got Kip McArdle as Delphine Downing. Now, Kip... Uh, has a few other TV credits, like uh, The Edge of Night and Naked City. Uh, Honeymoon Killers was her last credit. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got Marilyn Chris as Myrtle Young. You would have seen Meryl Chris, uh, sorry, Marilyn Chris with uh, last month's star of In the Soup. You would have seen her with uh, Steve Buscemi in Trees Lounge. She also oh. was in many, many episodes of One Life to Live. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got Dortha Duckworth as Mrs. Beck. She was in The Man with One Red Shoe and a movie called The Electric Grandmother. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I mean, God, you don't even need a movie. No. No. Uh, we've got Barbara Kaysen as Evelyn Long. We've also seen uh, Barbara Kaysen in such shows as Remington Steel. It's Gary Shandling's show. She played Ruth <sighs> Shandling. Uh, every popular show in the 80s. She, she was in, uh, on it at least once. Oh, yeah. We've got Elsa Raven. This is so exciting to me. Okay. We've got Elsa Raven as Matron. Elsa Raven is the actress in Back to the Future, the lady who's yelling about the clock tower. Oh. Who I, I mean, I can just picture her perfectly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. She was also in the Twilight Zone, the movie, and Amityville Horror, uh, Titanic, which I don't remember her in that, but she wasn't yeah. yelling about anything. So well. I kind of feel like she probably went into the background a little bit on that one. <laughs> Uh, she should have yelled. Yeah. Diane, Diane Aslan as Severns, but I think it's supposed to be Severna. Let's say, uh, Severnza. Anyway, she is married to Paul Aslan, the associate producer of this movie. Hmm. She, she had a lot of miscellaneous crew credits and wrote on the show Angie. Our second mention of the show Angie, strangely enough, uh, was a producer on the after school special Dinky Hawker. Uh, oh, which starred uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, oh. who played uh, Michael J. Fox's present-day sister in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. A lot of connections here today, Sean. Hmm. A lot of connections. Finally, our final connection of the night from me, Michael Haley as Jackson. Michael Haley was second unit director on tons of things. We're talking about Charlie Wilson's War, Angels in America, big long list, but also assistant director on Stay Hungry. Get out. Mm. Yes. There it is. Uh, I'm, I'm wrapping it up with a nice connection right there. That's and so he's got, what kind of part does, do you have a, like a character name in this? Do you know? Absolutely. Yes. He's playing a, a okay. character named Jackson. He actually has a okay. lot of, of acting credits, but they're yeah. all things that he was also second unit directing. So. Yeah. I want, that makes me wonder if they're just like, oh, we need somebody to, uh, we couldn't get a person cast for this part. So 
yeah. you do it, you know? Yeah. He, he's like, he's the Alfred Hitchcock of second unit directors. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, yes. Yeah. Except for nobody knows who he is. If, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, that's mm. maybe the one drawback. Uh, but that's all I've got, Sean. What about you? Okay, I've got some exciting stuff here, and we'll get to how you were wrong uh, shortly. I'm so excited. But, so first thing we need to know about this movie is this little story, Craig. Okay. In 1949, Raymond Martinez Fernandez and Martha Jewel Beck were arrested for the murder of three people and were later connected to at least 14, and if not 17, more murders. They vehemently denied their guilt, and Mr. Fernandez retracted a confession of murder that he gave at some point. But it went to a trial which became a very sensationalized event during its day and featured lurid tales of sexual perversity. Ooh, my favorite Ultimately, kind. they did not come out of this trial too well, Craig. Oh. They were convicted of a single murder, sentenced to death, and both were executed on March 8th, 1951. Martha Jewel Beck's final request, according to the NY Times, was that she be allowed to sit in Fernandez's lap in the electric chair, which I can't imagine that they wow. obliged her with that, but it didn't say anything else. So I gotta, <laughs> gotta do some research there. Wow. But together, this couple was known in the papers as the Lonely Hearts Killers. And some pretty vicious stuff. I didn't. I didn't go too far down the rabbit hole. There's a Wikipedia page if you want to want to do so on them. But uh, some not great stuff. But uh, I don't think they got the anti-hero tag that say Bonnie and Clyde or was it the Starkweather that influenced Badlands. Right. I, don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Well, and this is interesting to me just because the synopsis you read. I mean, it's in the yeah. title. It says Honeymoon Killers, but the synopsis you read doesn't seem to indicate anyone's getting killed. Uh, I think somebody is, Craig. I think it's happening. I and right. uh, in particular, in that case, Martha Jewel Beck was of interest because she supposedly had a very violent temper, especially in anything related to being jealous about what her husband was doing, uh, as, as far as I understand. And, and he was known to do things. And of course, which I think is going to play a part in the film, and we'll see here in a little bit. They talked about her weight a lot in the press. Mm -hmm. She was not a skinny, skinny person. Uh, so that's going to be in the soup here. Get it in the soup? Oh, that's great. But of course, all that stuff is kind of natural fodder for a movie, although maybe not in 1949 when it happened. Um, so Warren Steibel, who, of course, you mentioned was the producer on this, he has a friend named Leon Levy at the time. Quote, I went to his house for dinner one night, and at one point he said, you're a genius. Everyone needs friends like this. You should make a movie. How much could you make one for? And yes, everyone does need a friend like that. I'm still searching for one, yeah, by the way. someday. So Warren Seibel uh, apparently just guessed and named the sum of $150,000, and lo and behold, he got it. <whistles> Mr. Seibel was also friends with one... Leonard Castle, who I think he was roommates with as well at one point. But of course, as you mentioned, Castle was only known as a composer, but Steibel told him about the idea. Castle went off to do some research and was later asked to write the script. Warren Steibel said, quote, We wanted to do an honest movie about murders. These are not charming people. They are sleazy people, but fascinating. You won't come out of the theater feeling sorry for the killers like in some movies. It is not romanticized. 
which again, I don't know when was Bonnie and Clyde? 16, uh, 16, I want to say 67. Okay. So maybe that's a little dig there at, at that. I don't know. I was trying to think of what other he would be like, maybe in cold blood a little bit, but uh, not so much. I don't know. I'm curious yeah. like which movies he would be kind of talking about. I'm sure there's a whole slew of B movies that kind of made the killers look interesting. Well, I mean, maybe maybe even any movie that's just like, oh, this is a movie about gangsters, you know, and this is the main character is a gangster and, you know, yep. any of those kind of things. Yeah, Godfather. Sure. Godfather 2. Anyway. Godfather 3 for that matter. Which is coming back out in the theaters, by the way. Oh, wow. A new cut. Anyway, so this was the inspiration for The Honeymoon Killers. However, Wikipedia tells me that, yeah, take that loosely. If it says anything about being based on a true story, there's a lot of stuff that they that they changed. Some significant differences. Yeah. Shirley Stoller, who you talked about, was cast because she was friends with Marilyn. Chris, who you also mentioned, plays the character Myrtle. And Stoller said... Quote, I had just returned from Europe where I had been singing in cafes and had no job prospect. But she and Tony Lobianca had worked together at the Living Theater in Manhattan and had some sort of presence uh, on Broadway in the New York theater scene. So photography began in August 1969 under the working title Dear Martha, which, I mean, come on, you can't sell a movie. Like, that's just not a good title for a movie. You're trying to get people's butts in the seats for this, that's I true. would imagine. Dear Martha? No. Uh, and they wrapped in October. They shot in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and Albany, New York. But Craig, yeah. you said they got two directors? Well, that's what it says. There was actually a third. Oh, no. Didn't start with Leonard Castle as a director. Didn't start with Donald Volkman. Originally, this film, Craig Moorhead, was to be directed by none other than Martin Scorsese. Really? Yes, he had finished Who's That Knocking at My Door, and he was hired to make this. But And this is, pay attention, anybody who ever wants to make a movie, he got fired from this film after a week uh, to 10 days. And he got fired for working too slowly. (laughs) And Scorsese himself has even said that it was with good reason. Quote, it was a 200-page script, and I was shooting everything in master shots with no coverage. Holy shoot. And supposedly in an interview with uh, the Criterion Collection, I think Seibel commented that like the straw that broke the camera's back was that Scorsese was taking way too long trying to get the perfect close-up of a perfectly lit beer can. So <laughs> an insert shot, essentially. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he got canned. Donald Volkman was brought in. I think he has like an industrial films background, and so he had at least directed something. Yeah. He shot two weeks, and then Castle was brought in. So it's not even that long of a shoot. I mean, they started in August, and they're done in October. So uh, I don't know. But there is some uh, debate about maybe some of Scorsese's stuff actually may being in this final cut. There is a scene that was described as the lakeshore scene, and I didn't read much beyond that because I don't want anything spoiled. Mm-hmm that I think is without refute something that Scorsese shot. There's a little bit of a differing opinion about the opening, but the article I read said, if he didn't direct it, it still kind of has some things that you could say kind of fit the Scorsese style. So interesting. we'll see, but look for that. Yes, there's an opening hospital scene, and that's the one that I think is the big one up for debate. Maybe there's pieces of that. I was wrong. 
Nothing I read said anything about anything that Donald Volkman directed, so I don't know. Um, yeah, nobody's like, anyway. But uh, in fact, you know, amidst all of this and the three directors, uh, Lobianco, who played the male lead, as you mentioned, said, quote, the real heroes of this film were the cinematographers and the editors. Uh, and he specifically mentioned Stan Warnow, which, yeah, it, yeah, I'm sure that that has a lot to do with keeping any sort of continuity. Sure. But the budget was so low that the actors did their own hair and makeup and all the special like sort of blood effects were done really, really on the cheap. They talked about using condoms filled with uh, fake blood and, you know, being able to puncture them when it looks like people are getting stabbed and stuff. So uh, good. I think that's all fun. Uh, the movie premiered in New York City on February 4th, 1970. There's some debate about there was two companies that were kind of behind it. Um, there, I don't know why it's confusing and it's not a matter of record, but I guess the American International Pictures may have released it in some theaters prior to the New York premiere, but Cinerama Releasing Corporation is attributed with the New York one. I don't know if that matters at all, but I just find it weird that nobody, like, that they can't, like, confirm and verify this. Yeah. Uh, a couple taglines. These are interesting ones, Craig. Product of the time. Quote, one of the most bizarre episodes in the annals of American crime. They use the word annals. Here's where it gets interesting. Yeah. Second one. Fat is sexy? Question mark. That's it. That's what it said. The whole tagline <laughs> is. There's a. You'll notice trend here. Another one. Fat Martha. You'll never forget her as one of the honeymoon killers. Wow. And then last but not least, love is a bitch, called Martha. Th- that one I kind of like. Wow. But <laughs> Still, they're all a little misogynistic huh? and mean. What's that? These are just posters. Yeah. Wow. Straight up on posters. Yeah. That is. Uh, that's bold. Bold <laughs> advertising. <laughs> Lillian Castle, man. Yeah, I guess so. There's an also known as that may have led to a potential spoiler. So I'm not going to translate it for you, Craig. But I'll say this. In Denmark, this movie, at least according to IMDb, was known as Brudadrab or Bruddrab. I don't. It's probably not Bruddrab, but uh, <laughs> that's how it's spelled, right? Sure. Google Translate didn't pick up anything when I wrote Bruddrab into it. But barn a drab means something else. And if you want to be a detective, you'll go look that up. But uh, it, I have a feeling it may spoil something in the plot, so I'm not going to say anything just yet. Okay. okay. We'll talk about it next week. If I start saying barn a drab next week, you'll know what I mean. I'm going to know exactly what it is. Okay. Um, as ready. weird as this movie sounds and its origins and everything and all these directors and just the chaos that probably was wrapped up with all of that, Got good reviews at the time. Roger Greenspun of the New York Times said, quote, Castle's film succeeds as a kind of chamber drama of desperate attraction and violent death. Although it is profoundly involved with the quality of individual middle-class American lives, it completely subordinates anecdote to action and pathos, even the pathos of its central characters to passion. The secondary performances range from acceptable to excellent. Don't you know, like all the, like the actors were reading that and they're like, okay, Wait, am I the acceptable or am I the excellent? Right. <laughs> you couldn't say which ones? Yeah. Probably a few of them were like, yeah, everybody else was kind of acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, there was a revival screening in 1992, and Kenneth Turan of the uh, LA Times wrote this, quote, the quality of being true to itself is the honeymooner, honeymoon killer's greatest. I'll probably do that a lot. The honeymooners, I'm probably going to say that yeah. in, the, in these between these two episodes. Very different sort of entertainment. Mm-hmm. 
the Honeymoon Killer's greatest strength. Writer-director Castle, who unaccountably never made another feature, is in perfect control of his material here, understanding it thoroughly and making sure that everything from the harsh lighting to the flat staging to the snippets of Mahler on the soundtrack unite to enhance the rawness and relentlessness of the film. I know how you like to get raw, so... I like a raw, relentless film. I don't want Mm -hmm. anything to relent. (laughs) You don't want it cooked. Do not want it cooked, that's right. So box office could not find... Oh, no, I did find. I'm sorry. Uh, that's a, a different movie that uh, doesn't exist, apparently. So, yeah, it looks like the movie, all told, cost about 250000 to make. And it looks like that Leon Levy guy provided all of, uh, all of the money there. Uh, it apparently made $11 million, all told, and did well in Britain and France. So we're talking about throughout the years. I guess. I okay. don't know. Because that seems a lot. Like, if that had been one year in 1970? Right. In 1970, that would have been a pretty huge deal. Because apparently, it also went on to say that Leon Levy claims that he recouped absolutely none of his investments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good old Hollywood accounting. (laughs) But he also apparently became, like, mega, mega, mega rich for some, like, hedge fund business. So he's doing fine, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk 1970, which we have done a 1970 movie before, but I think it was in our first season. We didn't sort of run down some of the other stuff of the year there. So top 10, Love Story, Airport, MASH, Patton, Woodstock, Little Big Man, Tora Tora Tora, Ryan's Daughter, Catch-22, The Owl and the Pussycat. So really Scorsese had his last laugh, I think, because, you know, he edited Woodstock. So True. Eh. But he did get straight up fired. Okay, <laughs> here's some other goodies from this year, Craig. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. We'll do a tally, and you tell me how many of these you've seen. The American Soldier, The Aristocats, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Bloody Mama, The Boys in the Band, Brewster McCloud, Cece and Company, Campaneros, The Conformists, Count Dracula, Crimes of the Future, which is a David Cronenberg movie? I don't know that title. Do you? That's a very early Cronenberg, though. No, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I don't know. You're looking at that. Yeah. Uh, that's what it said. Darling Lily, Dirty Dingus McGee, that's... which is a Frank Sinatra movie, which that's a good... Oh, man. Let's get that in Dinky Hawker and let's let's double feature. 100%. Uh, El Topo, Even Dwarfs Started Small, or Start Small, the uh, Werner Herzog film. Mm-hmm. Five Easy Pieces, classic. Getting Straight, Gimme Shelter, Hercules in New York, which we talked about recently. Hi, Mom, which was listed... That's a really early De Palma film with De Niro, actually. Hi, Mom. Good title. Husbands, I Love My Wife, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, Julius Caesar, The Kremlin Letter, The Landlord, which is a Hal Ashby movie, I Need to See, Let It Be, The Beatles documentary, The Man Who Haunted Himself. I think we talked about that before one time. Uh, Not as a full episode or anything, but anyway. The Moonshine War, Ned Kelly, Norwood, the Out-of-Towners, Performance, The Phantom Tollbooth, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, Quaxer Fortune Has a Cousin in the Bronx, which is a Gene Wilder and Margot Kidder movie. Oh, yeah, we've about. talked about that one, too. Did we? Okay. I think I think we had it on a list a long time ago, but I, I don't know where it is. I don't know where to see it. Okay. Rabbit Run, a little movie called Soldier Blue. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one we did. There's a Girl in My Soup. <laughs> great title trash uh andy warhol's movie two mules for sister sarah valerie and her week of wonders and Zabriskie point oh my best God. picture that year you know that it was in the top 10 
box office. Uh, we so you so you've already said it. Yeah, I've already said it. <laughs> best, wait, you're you're asking for best picture. Best picture for 1970. So the Oscars. Yep. Ah, crap, I I don't remember. Patton. Patton, yes. Uh, now here's here's a real trivia question. Do you know who directed Patton? Um, no. Me either. It's Franklin Schaffner, and he won Best Director for it. I've never... Wow. I don't know that name really at all, so I'm curious what happened after it. Best Actor, of course, George C. Scott for Patton as well. Best Actress, Glenda Jackson. Glenda Jackson. Jackson. And John Schlesinger. No. <laughs> Glenda Jackson for Women in Love. Best Supporting Actor went to John Mills for Ryan's Daughter. Best Supporting Actress went to Helen Hayes. In the airport, although it probably should have been Karen Black and Five Easy Pieces. Mm. Best screenplay, Ring Lardner for MASH and Francis Coppola and Edmund North won for Patton. Uh, the best international language film was Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. No awards, it appears, for The Honeymoon Killers. But here's some fun facts, Craig. Mm. Uh, the movie was apparently banned in Australia in 1971, deemed obscene always makes me happy i mean if you're obscene for australia my god right yeah yeah exactly the whole penal colony the whole island right it was at one time yeah they got animals that'll kill you just for looking at them oh yeah it's like my house so it did sort of finally i guess get changed at least the rating in 1989 in australia where it was acceptable for 15 year olds to then see it so it's funny how (laughs) how quickly taste and times and uh, opinions of morality change when it comes to art right um there's an art rock band out of new york city called the honeymoon killers and i meant to look them up on spotify and forgot to do so but if you're a fan there you go leonard castle he didn't make another movie as a director but he did become a professor of composition and music history at the state university in albany where he uh, spent the rest of his days and retired. Very nice. Can you imagine having that guy as your professor? You just like one day look him up, you know, which I don't even yeah. know how you would do that. Like somebody would just have to tell you, like, by the way, you know, he directed a movie called The Honeymoon Killers. Like yeah. what? I mean, that that's that's one of my dream scenarios uh, yeah. from a long time ago. It's just like, yeah, you just do like one very interesting movie and then just never Done. touch it again. Yes. You're just out. Uh, Warren Stiebel, uh, and I, I quoted from this article earlier, but this article in New York Times that was written in 1992, and I don't know if there was a revival at that point or not, but there were some several quotes from him. He said, quote, I remember the Lonely Hearts Killers case, maybe even more than most people, because I have fought a lifelong battle between being fat and not so fat, Mr. Stiebel said. At the moment, I'm quite fat, and my mother was a nurse, so maybe there are problems that should be dealt with in therapy. <laughs> Boy, it's it's really uh, the size of this main actress seems to be a major focus of yeah of this story. Interesting. Which we'll have to talk about. Yeah, I mean, even today, you're not seeing an actress of that size on a poster for a movie very, very often. Not right? often, no. That's true. Uh, unless it's Melissa McCarthy. So, um, yeah, it's something interesting here. Now, here is the last bit of miscellaneous trivia that I'll leave us on, and I'm leaving it with a request. I could not find anything else about this or even exactly where it's attributed to, but I saw it reposted in nearly every single thing I looked up for this film. And that is that Francis Truffaut, not Francis, <laughs> Francois Truffaut. This is why the French are not listening then anymore. I don't blame you again. I'm God, I'm sorry. sorry. I don't know how many times I can apologize to the entire nation. I, we've talked about Truffaut several times. Love mm-hmm. Truffaut. 
said that this movie, The Honeymoon Killers, quotes, called it this, my favorite American film. Not one of my favorite American films, quote, my favorite my American favorite. film. Yeah. This is on the Criterion site. This is elsewhere. It's in IMDb trivia. It was in that New York Times article, and nobody else had anything else or, like, where the quote came from or what. But uh, that's pretty interesting. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm very curious to see, like, I know there's, I think, a little bit of a documentary style to this here and there. So I'm very curious to see um, what about it might have appealed to him in such a strong, high way, uh, especially as a guy who's a massive Hitchcock film uh, fan, although... Yeah, I guess you could argue that Hitchcock's films are definitely American, even though he is not. Sure. Okay. That was a very stupid thing to end on, but uh, I think we should, before I say anything more stupid. And Craig, Mm -hmm. how jacked are you to see this? I am pretty excited. This has so many things recommending it right now. I can't Mm -hmm. wait to watch it. Yeah. I mean, and even more exciting that Scorsese is going to join us next week to talk about it. So I didn't know that. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You should check your email, bud. Check your email. I will. I'm sorry. Okay, so join us next time. Check it out. Again, it's on the Criterion channel, and I think elsewhere, maybe Canopy and uh, thereabouts available for rent. Uh, Come back. We'll talk about it and get into it, and hopefully nobody uh, is going on a honeymoon while while they're listening to it. Uh, Any additional last words, Craig? Uh, Just uh, just wanted to say, dinky hawker. Perfect. Bye. Bye.